In the UK heatwave of June 2018, I was in a vitally important support role for Tim and Tano to make a successful attempt at the Bob Graham round. Leaving a beautifully sunny Keswick on the Monday morning after the BGR attempt 2018, our first ever successful attempt I've been involved in. Uh, in fact, you know, I've only run a few legs in previous years, still never run leg two or leg four, and I only run leg three once. I didn't run at all anywhere this year. And for a nice walk yesterday, not on any of the um, Bob Graham route hills. We just went to a place called Coldale and walked around in a nice horseshoe, finishing on Grisdale Pike, which is relatively big and well known. And that was uh, very nice. And that was with Mark and Beanie and I think before this I'd had in my mind that uh, if Mark and Beanie that I only wanted to do it with Mark and Beanie uh, next year if, they, if they're interested uh, then I want to do it with them and we needed to be able to do it together I didn't want to do it Mark next year then me the year after or then Beanie the year after that so because I think in a way, this weekend certainly reinforced the fact that maybe we're getting a bit sick of it. Uh, you can um, you can only kind of walk and run on the same routes so many times before it gets a bit boring. And that walk yesterday just indicated how other, how many other lovely bits of the Lake District there are. You don't need to be coming up here and rather obsessively going over and over the same bits umpteen times. And, um, and the Bob Graham round is a, is a nice challenge. I don't just want to come up for a bit of a muck about with my friends. There needs to be a bit of focus, but then I don't want all the focus to be on a thing. Uh, and then there's not much time for the friendship. I think the uh, current working plan that Mark will definitely make an attempt next year. And my plan, I think, is to set off with him and see how I go. I checked in with Tim a week later to hear about the aftermath of his BGR. Hi, Bob. Hello, Tim. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Still a bit tired, actually. So, like Every day this week, I've been getting knackered towards the end of the day. It's almost like a wedding, you know, so much organisation goes into it and, and kind of mental energy and then it then it's done, the day's over and just, yeah, everything drops. And how, how are you physically, muscles and tendons and blisters and all that? Yeah, I, I didn't notice it at the time, but I've got one massive blood-filled blister at the back of my left heel. That looks a bit horrible. Uh, other than that, both Tanner and I, our knees were hurting, I think it was on leg three, I'd, I'd been a bit worried about my knees before, and because I, I was feeling a bit of pain in my right knee, and it was, I think it was the, the pressure of, of you know, lots of downhill stuff that was making them feel a bit creaky. And yeah, it did flare up a bit on the round, but um, ibuprofen managed to to sort it out. But that, that's still a bit a bit painful. And how do you feel sort of psychologically after it? It's been like the biggest thing in your life for months. <laughs> Well, it just uh, to be honest, just elated. He's so happy. There's not really a, a, a come down from it. It's more of an afterglow because all the way through, it only ever felt like a, a glimmer of a possibility. I, I would have been okay with just getting round it, you know, even if it was um, 27 hours to have done it when it seemed so far off for most of the training was. Um, yeah, it's just a, a great feeling. Hi, and welcome to our podcast about the Bob Graham Round. A 66-ish mile run in the Lake District up and over 42 of England's tallest mountains in under 24 hours. Recorded throughout 2018 and 2019, this is an audio account of a year preparing for 
and attempting the BGR. These are our Bob Graham sounds. And this is Tim reflecting a year later on the way up Skiddor again. Yeah, when I think of my route, it's the high coming off leg free, knowing that I'm still still on schedule. Yeah. Spending time, you know, in that heat, just with, with my head in the river. Oh, yeah. Listening to the water bubbling. That was amazing. And it felt so good. That's there. And then, yeah, the torture of leg four. Haunts me a bit that that bit where I did give up, but kind of just kept on my feet somehow. Yeah. There's a lot of lessons in, in that. But before we can get to June 2019, I have a year to get fit and get ready, and my journey starts with the answer to the mystery of the missing five hours in Amersham on my journey to the Lake District in episode one. It's 10.01am on uh, attempt day, and I've arrived in Amersham. I'm an hour early for my uh, meeting with Helen Hall, biomechanics analyst. Brought my flask, so I'm just having a coffee, and I'm going to see Helen Hall because I'm never going to do the Bob Graham unless I get over the um, injuries which have been niggling me uh, for... Well, for a while, I suppose, I, keep, I kind of keep getting injured. And I guess a lot of people do. Maybe you do. You run and you get injured. But it just seems to have got worse in recent years. I'm 41, nearly 42 now. So I'm not exactly old. But I guess you do get a bit more injured as you get towards middle age. In rec- just recent weeks, it's my Achilles, my right Achilles. For years it was my left, and now it's my right and I set off on a really innocuous two-mile little bimble from my house, just jogging pace. And um, within a mile, I was limping and had to walk back home. And for the last five weeks, my Achilles has just been sore. And it's still sore when I get up in the morning. Ah, if I hold it there, it really hurts. God, so I don't know what the problem is. But, you know, it's pretty desperate when you can't even run a mile just makes you feel really rubbish um, especially when you want to be a part of a big running thing like this so Helen Hall uh, how does she describe herself biomechanics analyst author runner coach her passion is to understand and teach biomechanically efficient motion using the latest in movement science and gait analysis technology I help people find solution for their pain and injuries and teach people to run with more speed for less effort, incurring fewer injuries in the process. This sounds like heaven, doesn't it? I call it perpetual forward motion. I've written a book on it called Even With Your Shoes On, The Running Shift. My motto is, if you think you can do it, you probably can. I don't know what she's going to do, but, you know, we've got four hours. She calls it a scan jam. She's got lots of pieces of equipment and she measures all sorts of stuff. So we'll find out what when we get there. I'll leave her to explain that. I do a lot of cycling. Uh, Over the last about six or seven years, I've cycled loads. I commute 22 miles to work, 22 miles home again, 220 miles a week. And so I sent her a quick email this week saying, oh, I just um, wondered, I noticed that you do bike fitting as well. I've never had my bike set up, checked, to make sure that I'm riding in the correct position. Is it worth bringing it along? And then she sent me a a voice message back. Have a listen to this. I think this will indicate the level of science that we're putting our trust in. I I feel like she's going to really know her shit. Hi, Bob. You are a product of everything that has ever happened to you, is happening to you. What you do day to day, uh, what you do in excess of, what you do too little of. We are just who we are, how we are and what we are because of what all of the input 
So yes, absolutely. If you do enough of it, there'll be a tipping point where it actually will start to affect. And I would say that we're starting in the right place with the scan jam. In time, we may, we may well need to look at your bike position if the input from your cycling is enough to mark a difference in the body. At the moment, we just need to look at you. I hope that makes sense. And I'm really looking forward to meeting you. Doesn't she sound awesome? What she asked me to send her in advance was a list of everything that's happened to me that has caused me pain or discomfort right from birth. So, you know, I sent how I was born, which was a bit of a long protracted birth emergency cesarean. Then I broke my arm. Hi, Helen. Hope you're doing well. Here's my injury list. Age 10, broke my left arm. Bad break at the elbow. Age 13, broke left wrist. Skateboarding. Late teens, sprained ankle playing basketball. Age 23, ish, dislocated left shoulder playing football. Approximately year 2000, age 24, 25, brain falling off a motorbike. 2011, broke collar and right side, hit by car. 2018, fell off bike, cracked left rib, bruised left shoulder, banged head. I'm putting so much hope and trust in this. You know, your kind of mental health, your, your happiness, for me, it's really tied to my health and fitness. Not like, am I elite? Because I'm not, but just, are you fit and healthy? Could you go for a run in, on a Sunday morning when the weather's good and you just fancy it? Can you cycle to and from work? If you've got some DIY to do, are you strong enough and able to do it? Or does your back hurt? So far, I've been fit and healthy all my life. I'm in good nick and uh, I want that to continue. And I just feel like of late, more and more things are creaky. My hips hurt when I cycle. My Achilles kills when I run. My back is getting a bit stiff. I think, oh, God. So I'm hoping it's going to be a revelation today. And um, I'm going to come away from it, you know, ready to do whatever she says. You know, I'll do whatever you say, Helen, uh, in order to get me up and running again. So I'll have my coffee and then we'll go meet her. Push the buzzer. Hello. You must be Just Hi. wait till she hits. She answers. She answers. Did you press? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hello, Denise. Hello, Helen. It's Bob. Hi, Bob. I'm just going to come in and meet you. Just, just stay in the shop. I'll be there in a minute. Fabulous. See you in a minute. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm Bob. I'm okay. her other half. Hi. And you met Brian? I did, yes. Yeah, he let me in. I can't believe that. I said to Hillary, so, so have you spoken to each other? And she said, no, it's all emails. So all this time, we've actually spoken to each other. You've heard my voice, though, because I sent you a voice message. I know, didn't I? it's fantastic, yeah. 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 Very so, authoritative. I'm <laughs> in <laughs> <With> my place. <laughs> yes, well, no, yes. No, it was great. It was very good. <laughs> you needed to um, have that information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on down. I'm in uh, to what must be Helen's uh, studio, I guess you'd call it, lab, uh, which is in a lovely wooden hut at the end of her lovely garden. And I met her two dogs, uh, Parker and Elsa, and her husband, Brian. And uh, it's shoes off once you're in here. Uh, so I'm now barefoot. And there's a slight smell of incense. And it's kind of a mixture of science and hippie, I think, which is quite an interesting and exciting combination. There's uh, loads of science books around, there's weights and there's foam balls and uh, there's a treadmill, various electronic scanners, harnesses hanging from the ceiling, a kind of massage table, lots of notes and things on the wall, pictures of must be Helen crossing the line at Ironman Austria, Natural Born Runner magazine on the wall. I think when I came in, I noticed that Brian was wearing those Vibram five-finger uh, barefoot shoes. Copies of Helen's book around as well. Might need to buy a copy of that before long. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to get some other recording stuff out and uh, crack on with the session. And there follows four hours and 37 minutes of recorded footage of the Scan Jam session before I got back in the car to drive north for Tim and Tano's attempt. Holy moly, macaroni. 
I am uh, kind of a bit gobsmacked after that uh, session with Helen. Uh, I feel like there was so much information and I barely know if I registered any of it. Uh, but she's given me some WhatsApp videos and uh, I'm hoping that I'll... Um, in 50 meters, at the roundabout, take the second exit onto Sycamore Road, A4154. I'm hoping that I'll be able to watch those videos. In 50 meters, at the roundabout, take the first exit onto Sycamore Road, B4441. Yeah, I think I did that. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping that... In 200 meters... Okay, sat-nav. Intense. I've listened back through now and I can offer you the edited highlights from my conversations with Helen as she quizzed me, observed me on the treadmill, looked at my movements, my stationary posture, listened to my moans, my creaks, my groans, my long-winded stories. She filmed me, measured me, made notes, hypothesised, diagnosed, and gave me lots of homework. Uh, in your teen sprained ankle... Yes. So when you say you must have done it a few times, both ankles crunch. So you you, you mentioned sprained ankle single. So Is there it? were old injuries to talk about. Normally, if you sprain an ankle, you would go the other way. So you would send your weight right okay. to get off that ankle. There was my very uneven posture. So if you would like to try running, now yeah. is the time. Great. So... But would you not run with your shoes on? Yes. Yeah, I always, yeah, we measure, we measure running with whatever you so, find most comfortable. Uh, shoes is something I definitely wanted to talk and about. And I wanted to find out from Helen what sort of shoes she would wear for running. I used to spend a, a large amount of money on shoes, you know, just, you know, what shoes cost, 100 quid or whatever. And then I read a book by Richard Asquith called running free i think he's kind of talking about his life through running as well as writing running free before that richard asquith wrote the book about the bob graham round feet in the clouds and he's a guest on this podcast later in the series along that process he talks about the the big industry around running and how we spend loads of money on this that and the other anyway the way i filtered it all through my mind was uh, uh i'm getting robbed conned out of money from uh, big companies that are selling me things that I don't really need and um, one of them I thought was very expensive trainers so I then saw these trainers uh, in decathlon for nine quid I think ah! and so I bought a pair of them and, and I, I think for the last couple of years I've made you can only imagine how this idea went down with the team I am nervous about bringing this to the group but I am a couple of months into a running shoe trial of my own invention I have bought a couple of pairs of decathlon trainers. They are, sit down Nick, £8.99 a pair. So far my trial has found them to be super comfortable, super light and although not barefoot flat, they aren't too built up. They are a bit plain, but I don't think too ugly, although I may be blinded by their cheapness, if you hadn't already noticed I am quite tight. That all sounds super, I didn't know you could get trainers for less than £100. Sometimes you can't afford not to spend £60 on shorts. Or £30 on oats with protein spunked into it. Deep down you all know I am right. I'd be really interested if you think, oh, these, are, these are awful and you should spend more, uh, or, or you need this sort of thing, I'd be really interested to know whether it really makes any difference or not. I'm really happy to be told, no, you're an idiot, buy some better shoes. Uh, so, yeah, I'm intrigued. So, in the appendix in my book, yeah. there is a list of things that I think are important when choosing a pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. And it boils down to the shoe that influences your foot the least. Okay. So when you take your foot out of said shoe, does your foot change? Does it do something different? Because right. if it does, what on earth was the shoe doing? Okay. So the, the, the right shoe for you, if you want to wear shoes, disappears. It's the one you notice the least. So like a pair of slippers. Yeah, okay. So if, you're, if you do your laces up and then you take your, your, shoe, your foot at the shoe and your foot flowers, 
then your yeah your laces might be too tight probably yeah and maybe the the whole of the upper wraps too tightly around the foot to disallow the 33 joints to do their thing right okay we've got 26 joints in the spine we've got 66 joints in the feet if you were to brace your spine well would you so we don't think about what we're doing with our feet. It, invariably, people don't think about it. Yeah. The shoe needs to be pliable enough for us to access all the joints rather than just the ankle joint, you know, picking up the toes and dropping the heel in. We need right. to be able to roll through the foot. But science tells us, in as much as science can ever tell us anything, that if there is more than a five millimeter lift, from the ball of the foot to the heel, the pelvis has to do something to stop your face planting. Just in case it's not okay. clear, Helen's talking and about the difference in the drop between the heel of your shoe and the front part of your shoe. And if that's less than five millimetres, then it's as good as flat. If it's more than five millimetres, then as she puts it, your pelvis is being pushed into an unnatural position. So to make the the pelvis do something it wouldn't otherwise have done if you hadn't put those shoes on doesn't seem to make any sense to me so to stay under the radar of that just go sub five all the manufacturers rather helpfully give you um, the differential on the manufacturer's specs you'll have the differential right so i would if you can if you're comfortable go with sub five you want a lovely broad toe box that looks like your feet. Okay. And if you look down and see a shape that your foot doesn't look anything like that. Yeah. Or you take the insole out and put your foot on the uh, insole. And if your the shape of your foot spills outside that insole, well, that shoe is fettering the function of your foot. Okay. Right. So broad enough, long enough. Some people, they buy too short because they want it to fit snugly. Yeah. Are you limiting joint movement if it fits snugly? Well, probably. Yeah. Your foot should lengthen under load. So if, if you don't allow it to, then you, you're missing part of the, the, the wonder of what the foot can do to help you in gait at whatever speed. And cushioning as much as you want I mean cushioning is a choice thing I, I like to feel the ground that's my personal choice if I can't feel the ground it's like weird yeah it's like I can't feel the ground what's going on yeah uh, it's like running with uh, numb feet which often happens off the bike uh, in triathlon okay okay yeah Whew, is that enough yeah I think so yeah <laughs> that's good yeah thanks we start with a fast walk Okay. So, starting with the lurch. And do you know... So, the treadmill running takes place with cameras trained on you and those little stickers all stuck on the important parts of my body, like I'm Andy Serkis playing Gollum in Lord of the Rings, allowing Helen to see, through the computer, my misshapen spine and how contorted it's become, where my pelvis doesn't appear to move anymore and how my enormous heavy head seems to be at fault. And we can see how the effect very clearly the effect your ha your head has on the rest of the spine as you walk so it's as if it's a too heavy christmas tree decoration right. straightening the branch out i love this festive analogy it's stuck with me helen is very good at layman's explanations of complex stuff were you a head banger or just a head bumper i think i was i think i was a head bumper so the way i understand it my catalogue of injuries will have affected the way my body moves in order to protect the hurt bits. But then it adapts to do that, and it even adapts to the memories or the echoes of the hurt bits even after the hurt is gone. So you stay protecting bits that you actually don't need to protect anymore because they've recovered. Maybe that's why your head is so far forward. You had that... After the analysis and diagnosis come the drills, which are sort of like stretches or exercises, but they're not hard work. You don't have to do them to excess or you don't have to push yourself into 
painful place you just need to do them deliberately and consciously and you really have to follow the instructions and Helen is very good at instructions first you settle yourself on the floor knees bent nice and relaxed we want all of the muscle tissue that has to work in the field of gravity we don't want any of it flow that all the way up to the back of the neck and the pubic bone is coming up which is sending the nose up now you have a short back of neck and now if you internally rotate the wrists uh, other way other way that's it internally rotate so you've got pressure towards the thumb now you're dragging the shoulder blades foot mechanics weight on the outside of the heel because bones have moved oh did you feel that cringly then there's yeah. more measurements and there's comparisons with how my body was before I did the drills and then there's the homework. Jiggling the nerve chassis. So we're going to jump up and down the spot for one minute. Your feet leave the floor, but only knees um, are underneath hips. We're making a little box, but your shoulder girdle is wider than your hips. Hi, Bob. I know it sounds crazy, um, but it always works. So you stare with a soft gaze at the palm of your left hand. So you open You're the palm. lying flat on your back, spread-eagled, on a bed is nice, on wooden floor is also nice because you can slide. And you reach through each limb on the diagonal. And it doesn't so I followed Helen's instructions as well as I could. And I did the drills twice a day. Our house echoed to the sound of Helen's voice on the WhatsApp video she sent me. No running was allowed, but I could do walking as long as I stayed upright. My head effortlessly stacked on top not leaning forward like that bent Christmas tree. And I was still cycling a lot to and from work, with my tongue now shoved to the right side of my mouth to straighten my jaw, which would in turn straighten my pelvis. It's Sunday evening, it's the 30th of September. It was tough. And I'm still not running now, and I'm still seeing her via Skype. I've done a few of those over the summer months, and WhatsApping, getting a lot of guidance from her and a lot of support as well because I feel bleak about running and I felt really really low about it over the summer. And then it got tougher. Just walking to Tesco's on a busy Friday evening. It's the 5th of October and uh, this week I have gone through a pretty low uh, period thinking that I might never ever run again. Uh, my Achilles just, uh, you know, um, I'm doing all the drills and sometimes it feels good, but in the morning I can barely walk, I'm hobbling down the stairs. But I made progress. It's Friday the 12th of October, so tomorrow is a bit of a big day because I'm going to see Helen Hall. I suspect we won't do much running, but at least she'll be able to see what my posture looks like, what my Achilles looks like and how... It's a frustrating and scratchy Wednesday morning it's the uh, 17th of October I think and um, I went to see Helen Hall at the weekend and uh, hoped to run but I'm just not there yet my Achilles is still not ready but it was a really good session so she was able to see I suppose what bits of the drills that I've been doing I wasn't doing quite right and what things in my body were, were still out of alignment, she sort of scanned me and measured my vital statistics and so on. So then I returned to see Helen again. It's October the 27th, Saturday afternoon. I'm back in Amersham, two weeks after I last saw Helen in order to see her again. And I think I might actually run this time. This might be my first run in, I think, about five months. smile on my face I just did my first run in about five months fantastic uh, which I was... have to take a picture of your smiley face because it was uh, on every downhill rep uh, it was repeated over and over again your lovely smiley face yeah I couldn't stop smiling Helen was so patient and thorough in her rehabilitation of my injury and my return to running she was also really generous with her time and expertise so I wanted to record a proper chat about how she works about her book and her running coaching there's something for everyone here, I think, whatever level of runner you are. How is it now that I'm running 
in a different way? I'm holding myself differently. What's, what's gone on? So, in a nutshell, in uh, as quick as I can, it is you were stressing it and it had lost its ability to cope with the amount of stress that you were giving it. And all we did was find out what was stressing it and unravel that and find where joints weren't rotating in all the dimensions they should do uh, and give back the mechanics in each foot. Because, of course, your journey, your journey of woe started on the other side. And then that locked down and your body weight shifted and then you gave it all to the other side and then you had nowhere else to go because you couldn't go back to the first side because you, your body, your central nervous system had already moved you away from that side. So you would just tied yourself into a bit of a knot, albeit a tall one, and, and it just needed unravelling. And then you're not stressing to soft tissue because the bones are in the right place, doing the right thing. It's only been quite recently, with, with the drills that you've sort of given me to move bones, was, was what you kept saying to me. Yes. So it, it's, it's felt, seeing you has felt very different to when I've seen physios and what have you in the past. You know, there's been no sort of uh, hands-on, you know, trying to deal with the painful area of my Achilles. Um, uh, and apart from a, a small bit of massaging that I've done, that you sort of suggested was a good way of getting the um, lymph fluid out of the way, there hasn't been any sort of soft tissue stuff. So you're, you're, what you kept saying to me initially was move bones, don't push it. You know. So, I, I, you know, it sort of messed with my head a bit. You know, I mean, you describe yourself as a biomechanics analyst. Is that the right... You know, I mean, what, what, what do you sort of... How did you get into that? How did you even sort of... Uh, how do you even do what you do? Well, lots of questions. That's, there. Yeah, there's so many. I don't like. Oh, um, so I don't call myself anything actually. Not to correct you, but to it's because it's I I get puzzled myself when people say, "What are you?" I mean, uh, well, I'm Helen, and but what I do is I analyse posture and movement. So I'm always looking at posture and movement and wondering why a body is making the shapes it is, and with you. Oh, actually, just to backtrack to the um, the treatment of the painful area, the painful area didn't get painful for lack of you rubbing it, rolling it, poking it. So rubbing it, poking it, rolling it is probably not going to give you anything other than temporary relief. You need to understand why the tissue has got stressed in the first place. And invariably, the tissue is stressed because either it's pulled long and it's under tension all the time, or it's got too much weight pushing through it and it's compressed all the time. Either which way, it ends up being bothered because it's doing too much of one thing and not enough of another. So like an, a, a closing door and an opening door, it's got to open and close, otherwise it's, a, no, it's not a door. A closed door permanently isn't a door. An open door permanently is just an opening. It's not a door. So we all of the joints in your body are there for movement and they need to open and close. The, the point being, it's the bones that move that dictate to the soft tissue. So if the bones aren't moving, but the tough soft tissue is overloaded in a certain area because you're leaning on it, pulling the soft tissue isn't going to solve the problem you have to get the weight out of that area or get the bones moving to enable that area to have a, a rest. So that the, the pain is often, more often than not, the pain is a symptom of the problem, but not the cause of the problem. And you asked me to write down, before I came to see you, all, all the previous injuries and things that I'd had, mm. you know, so that you could get a picture of why my body might be the shape it is, why I might hold myself in a certain way. So do some people sort of get lucky by the fact that they haven't had many broken arms, fallen off bikes and what have you, and so they just still have quite a nice, upright, uh, efficient, good posture, and then others like me just you know, respond badly to a few, few injuries? Do we, or do we all, maybe because of the jobs we do and sitting down all the time, end up with a slightly worse posture like the older we get? That's a really good question. I think that the reality is, unless you've wrapped yourself up in cotton wool, we've all fallen off bikes or scooters or walls or out of trees. 
Earlier on in the session, Helen told me a story which stuck with me and I've managed to find it which illustrates this point that it doesn't really matter if you haven't broken an arm there are things that have happened in your life which will have affected your posture and sometimes it's not what you think. Really interestingly the last session yesterday was the biggest shift of the pelvis left I have ever ever seen I mean it was two inches I mean it was huge and there was an older lady, and it was like a white elephant in the room. Right. And she'd had surgery, and I said, has, has anybody mentioned the fact that your pelvis is over there somewhere, and you're literally like this? Yeah. No. And you haven't noticed? No. And there was nothing in her history that gave us any reason why her pelvis had gone so far to the extent I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Until... She needed something from her handbag, and her husband brought, um, brought it over. Lovely couple, and it was, and she, and he was joking, you know, oh, uh, you know, I need a crane to lift this type of thing, and she had all her life carried a very, very, very heavy handbag wow. on her right shoulder. Okay, and so her pelvis went over there somewhere. Yeah. Every time we heal, our central nervous system organizes the movement of our healing around that hurt. And we tend to fall into one of two camps. We'll either move towards that pain and nurture it and pick the scab and lean into it and poke it and prod it. Or we'll turn away from it and completely delete it and get on with our lives as if it's never happened. But that creates both of those scenarios, create movement patterns around that injury. And even if it's just uh, fell off my bike when I was seven or I fell out the tree when I was eight, but you remember it, this is significant because the central nervous system is juvenile when it's in single digits, which is why parents saying, and, and I was guilty and I've apologized to my children for so many things. I didn't know then what I know now. I'm so sorry. They go ah, over nothing. But to their central nervous system, this is great alarm. This is, this is survival stuff. Right. So that young person, anywhere between birth and nine, say, single digits, this is great alarm and that kicks up a great big fuss because that's what we're programmed to do because we are in distress and we need to resolve this and the sedentary isn't developed enough to know that actually this isn't uh, a safety issue. This is just a little something. The, the pain is big, because that's what the central nervous system is set up to do to protect us. And it senses danger. So it has a great big alarm. And that, even though you only end up with a grazed knee, but it's quite deep and it's still scarred as an adult and you remember it, you moved around that pain at that time, age four or five or six or seven. Yeah. And that started the shapes that you then continued to revolve around and evolve with each hiccup, injury, fall since. Each crash, each whatever it might be. So we are eventually a product of everything that's ever happened to us, which is so... um, exciting and kind of gives you a sense of relief because if we evolved into it as a result of all those movement patterns then once we understand that we can we can evolve back out of it so nothing is forever so people think oh i'm stuck with it my back pain yeah Yeah, my doctor says i've got to live with it okay why are you fixed into that pattern of movement Or have you evolved into that pattern, which is now giving you all these symptoms? And can we actually move out of that pattern? Not by wanging around, not not lots of movement, because big, gross movements are, you will move in a gross way around all of the tiny, weeny restrictions that you don't even know you have. Yeah. But when you drill down, the magic's in the detail. When you drill down, you find the tiny little bits that are missing that might be the keys to the lock to open a movement pattern that was entirely missed through the great big swathes of gross movement. It's a bit like speed hides need. Big movements hide the lack of teeny movements. So I think no, I'm getting a picture of of the fact that yes, we are we are this sort of this product of of things that have happened to us and yeah. so on. And for runners. We're, we're all a different shape. You know, you only have to 
look outside at runners going past. Everyone runs, they're all different shapes and they're all different styles of running. And, you know, and sometimes you look at people and go, crikey, how are you even moving like that? You, that looks terrible. Other people I look at and think, you know, you look fantastic like Mo Farah. And I, and I have no idea what I look like in the, in the middle of it all. When I run and I'm feeling good, the image I have in my head is the, the Brownlee brothers. I feel like they run in a, in a way that I think looks very pleasant uh, on the eyes, kind of think, oh, you look efficient and yeah. so on. Yeah. Uh, so my question about about runners is, I'm guessing because we're all different, there's no one way to run efficiently. Could all runners benefit from seeing someone like you and and unpicking some of that, uh, the funny w- ways that we've twisted our bodies over the years in order to run more efficiently? Or are some people beyond help? Nobody's beyond help. I think that it's down to awareness. So something that happens with uh, regularity is if I do a workshop, there'll be a show of hands at the beginning. Who, uh, where is first contact for you? So when, you, when you're running, when you land, where is your first contact? Is it uh, on the heel? Is it on the forefoot? Is it midfoot, somewhere in front of the heel, uh, but not the toes? Uh, is it, I don't know. So when we get to the I don't know people, uh, I ask those people to leave their hands up if they've ever been injured. And in the main, the hands stay exactly where they are. So these people have no idea where their first touchdown point is on their foot. And they're doing it repetitively, repetitively over and over and over and over again. So it's, nothing, it's not that it's wrong. It's not that it's good or it's bad. It's simply, it's simply an indication of why they might have got injured because they don't, they're not aware of what they're doing. They don't know what, what bits of their body are doing flying around in space. So where is the self-preservation? I get the feeling that we comfortable, efficient movement is in our DNA. It doesn't make any sense that we have evolved to be this um, higher mammal with clunky, uncomfortable movement. With tennis, if you see a great forehand, you just know it's a great forehand, even if you don't do it yourself. So there's a quality of movement and shapes that people make that, as you say, it just looks... Right. It just looks efficient. It just looks like what we should be able to do. And when you see shapes that look a bit clunky and uncomfortable, yes, the first thing is like, oh, my God, how do they do that? And then my second is like, why do they do that? And so just telling somebody to, oh, don't do that, do this. Well, they might not be able to do this. They can only do that because a whole pile of doors got shut. So if you just think of all the joints in your body as doors... Beautiful, comfortable, efficient, non-injurious movement could surely be analogous to... Is it analogous or analogous? Uh, I'm never quite sure. Analogous sounds American. Let's say analogous. Uh, yeah. So it, it, it's, a, it's a sequence, it's a harmonious dance of some doors opening and some doors closing. So if some doors are permanently shut, that's going to be a bit clunky. And if they're wide open, that might be a bit wobbly. So... We just need to understand what is shut, what is open, close what's open, open what's shut, and let the body find its way again. So to go back to the question, the other part of the question, is there a way of moving? Well, I think that there is. I think there is your way. I think there is a human way which has a look and a feel, but Mm. inside your body that will feel like this to you and like that to somebody else in your own body, but it will look to to an onlooker something that's pretty the same, as in comfortable, elegant, fluid, harmonious, cooperative, nothing jangles. Yeah. So if something doesn't feel quite right, it's about not trying to do something else, but to explore what isn't happening and correct that. So that's what we've been doing with you over the last few months is finding what joints weren't opening and opening them kindly, what joints were staying open and closing them kindly, and then connecting it all together with bigger and bigger movements, adding that into the first gear of gait, which is walking, and just walking in a, in a more balanced way that isn't stressing your body. Mm. And then today, we took it into run. Yay. Yay. 
And I'm still smiling. Yeah. Um, there's one last question. So if people wanted to improve their running, then they could come and see you and they could and they could get you know real uh, analysis or they could buy your book even with your shoes on uh, even with your shoes on uh, and they could and they could read and get w- uh, more wisdom that way is there is there a thing that you think any runner just listening to this now a thing that they could apply to themselves whether it's a way of listening to their body you know thinking about how they move that you think could probably improve just any runner even if they just uh, after listening to this thought I'll pl- I'll try that I'll try what she said and and it would probably put them in the right direction Well, I always like to keep things very simple and topping and tailing seems simple. So I would look to feet and I would ask somebody to just stand in front of the mirror, not look down at their feet, but look in the mirror at their feet and lift all of their toes and just see what happens. So with nothing else in mind, I'm just going to lift my toes and see what happens. Just be really curious. And see, does each foot look the same? Are they symmetrical? Is the movement symmetrical? Do the toes lift to the same degree? Can they lift? Can, do some toes not lift? And does anything else happen in the foot when the toes lift? Because lots of things should happen in the foot when the toes lift. And then another way is, um, so you're, and this is just bilateral stance. So feet are just, you know, you're just standing still in a standing still position. And then you can bend your ankles. So bend your knees and ankles and just going, move in and out of that maybe three times. So you lift your toes three times. What, what is going on down there? Is it the same? Does it feel the same? Mm. Is the foot pressures the same? Do you lose contact with a particular metet, uh, you know, or the, the space behind the toes? Does the, the pressure change um, inside the heels, moving laterally or medially, equally? And then when you bend your knees, what happens then? Where does the weight go? Forward or back? Or both? What does it do? Is it the same on both sides? And then uh, moving from your feet to your head, when you turn to look over one shoulder, where, where's your stop? Okay, and then you turn to look over your other shoulder, where is your stop? And then think, well, am I standing upright? Have I got my most wibbly wobbliest head? So you just adjust without looking anywhere. You can just adjust and find where the head seems to sit and perch with no tension in the neck muscles. So you can just sort of wiggle your head around all wibbly wobbly and then look over your shoulder from that position. And in order to get your head to feel wibbly wobbly, so it's just literally balancing, the skull is balancing on the bones of the top of the vertebra, you have, but there you have least tension um, with the muscles hanging onto your head. And you then should find, in my experience, 100% of the time, you can look over your shoulder with a bigger peripheral vision. So straight away, you've now got more information that your habitual stance is limiting your rotations. And the exciting thing is, your rotations are your gift as an upright human to not have to bounce up and down against the force of gravity, but to swizzle underneath the force of gravity with it. And if you are continually limiting your rotations because you're not effortlessly stacked, then you're just making things harder. And if your feet aren't doing the same thing, but you're running on one foot and then the other, then that's another challenge in and of itself. So you just explore and then think, oh, well, maybe I want to do something about that. And to answer the question from the very beginning that uh, uh, I forgot and is relevant now, it's called Even With Your Shoes On because I'm known as a barefoot runner. But I'm not particularly interested in your shoes. I'm interested in what is happening inside your shoes. And all you have to do is slip them off. You don't have to go minimal if you don't want to. But if you just slip your shoes off and your socks off and had a little look, then you might discover something about your body that you didn't know before. And the reason I wrote the book is it's not efficient to see people one at a time. And the word didn't seem to be out there. So in order to be more efficient, I needed to write all the words I use on a daily basis into a book, which is why it's a big book, why it's got lots of pages, it's 105,000 words and there's 34 videos in it. 
so that people could have access to me even if they couldn't actually get here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Helen. <laughs> So, at the end of October 2018, I was elated. I was able to jog down a gentle tarmac slope on a quiet cul-de-sac in the home counties and walk back up again a few times. It's still some distance from being able to run 66 miles over 42 peaks in the Lake District, but with eight months still to go, it's a positive step forward and a foundation to build on, and I was genuinely delighted that day to at least be running again. Next episode, I get some inspiration from across the pond from an elite US runner with real Bob Graham round chops. It's just uh, one step at a time and one minute at a time. And, you know, we can we can only plan ahead so much. And and that's what you're doing right now is is uh, getting the work done that you need to get done in order to uh, to be able to go out there and feel comfortable. And I think we should make mention of the other BGR attempt that made the news in 2018, besides Tim and Tano's. In terms of uh, clothes, I think I will take um, a singlet because it will be pretty warm, a singlet and a shorts. Then I will carry some water always. I will carry some gels and I will have some sandwich in the road crossings. That's most of it, so not a lot of gear to carry. Incidentally, all the music in this episode has come from a band called Alexis Kings. And the reason for that is because their lead guitarist is Helen Hall's son. And she was a very proud mum one day when I met her, telling me all about the gig that she'd been to the night before, watching her boy. Hello again, it's me, right up to date in the end of 2019 as I'm making these podcasts and so I'm listening over and over trying to iron out the edits and so on and I've really worked on trying to condense loads of material that Helen spoke to me about into a nice little coherent half an hour for you to listen to and get a lot out of. I hope I've done the best I can. It bears fruit from repeated listenings. As I've listened to it over and over, I've thought, ah, yes... I get that even more. So I would recommend listening again. I think Helen has got loads of wisdom to share and you can find her online, helen-hall.co.uk. Hold up. 